We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast with me, Cy Campbell, and special guest, Craig Hope. This show normally goes out on our Patreon platform. Uh, you can join that for as little as £3 a month. Um, if you don't want to hear me rambling on about Patreon or the adverts that come before this, then you know what to do, uh, and that's the last time I'll mention it. Craig, good evening. Good to see you, mate. You are in sunny London, I believe. Uh, what, what What's happening? Yeah, I'm in the uh, the Royal, uh, what's it called, the, the, the Royal Kensington Garden Hotel, which is where uh, England in 1966 celebrated the uh, the World Cup triumph, believe it or not. Uh, players in one room and wives in a separate room, which is a different story. But uh, yeah, uh, and I'm here down here. I'll be in your shoes tomorrow, Si. I'll be the guy who's presenting uh, the mail, Daily Mail offices just across the road there. We've got our uh, transfer deadline special show. It's all kicking off uh, deadline special, which is our... A weekly podcast and myself and my colleague Sammy Mockbell will be doing two one-hour shows tomorrow on Thursday and then again on Friday on Transfer Deadline Day as well. So you can watch that at Mail Online and at the Mail Sport YouTube channel as well. So so yeah, it should be, a, it should be good fun. I'm not entirely convinced there'll be lots of Newcastle content, not unless uh, we lead on Jeff Hendrick going to Leeds on loan, which I don't <laughs> think is likely. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, so no no, uh, exciting times, lots going on in down here in London. But we hear it's all about Newcastle. So yeah, there is an awful lot going on. So it's a good time to catch up with you, Craig. And in fact, the last time we spoke was before we played Man City. So I want to very quickly get your thoughts on the last two defeats uh, because it's kind of the first time uh, in a long time that we've had a bit of a, a bump in the road. You could mm. you could describe Man City away as not being a bump in the road, and you could even describe Liverpool at home. You know, this is stolen your engine and you just need to restart the car but it's it's kind of the first time we've experienced this in a while what are you, what are your thoughts on the situation has it changed your views on the uh the season ahead or is it just a case of we've had a couple of really stinking fixtures mm. well i'm going to contradict myself to a degree here in going back to the last point you made there si there's no great shame in losing by one goal to both Manchester City and Liverpool. And if you'd said, even after the Aston Villa game, that, that Newcastle would come out with the next two with defeats, you would have said, you know, oh, OK, that, that that can happen. You know, it happened last season, didn't it? So, uh, and they finished fourth, not a brilliant campaign. So it's not the end of the world, absolutely not. But, and this is where the contradiction comes, I think both games were opportunities missed. I really do. Yeah. Uh, now, first of all, we go chronologically, the game down at Manchester City, uh, Newcastle played nowhere near what what Newcastle are capable of performing. Like you know that that is an absolute given. Uh, Manchester City were good, of course, the good, 
But you know, even though it was it was only slender one nil victory, did it ever really seem in doubt? You know, not really. Newcastle had territory mm. in the second half, and they were they were better uh, without ever really looking like scoring. The first half, and this is a compliment, was just was so unrecognisable that Eddie Howe would not have sent out the team to play as passively as they did uh, against Manchester City or any team for that matter. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're playing the best in the world or the worst in the world. They just weren't performing and executing basic duties and and, and, and skills and, and tactics like they, like they have done previously. So, uh, and Eddie said himself, you know, he's not one who's prone to anger, but he was very angry at halftime uh, down at Man City. I understood why, but... You come out of that game uh, and you think, okay, you know, uh, you, you go again against Liverpool, and for the first 15, 20 minutes, they were they were good, they were very good, and I just Eddie said it, and it's true. Newcastle were better against eleven men than they were against ten, but why? You know, why? why? It, that just it, it doesn't make any sense. It's not a I don't buy that as a as an excuse. Newcastle should have had enough experience and enough know-how on there, not to mention the, the numerical advantage and 52,000 behind you with a, with a one-goal lead, to see out that game comfortably, to take it to, to two or three. And yes, Liverpool were good, but I thought it was as much a case of Newcastle being bad. They were, again, I go back to that, that point. I used the word unrecognisable. You know, I didn't, in the second half in particular, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't recognise the, the, the Newcastle team. They were, they were, they were, they were sloppy in possession, they were, they were passive in their pressing, and I know a lot has been made about the substitutions, and yes, we might come on to this in a second, sign to get your thoughts, it's been the big fallout from that game, the substitutions for me were, were changes for the sake of it, it was almost like a, a pre-programmed uh, you, you know, like a pre-programmed tweet really, like you, it scheduled like an alarm went off and it was like, right, okay it's time now to make these changes without actually giving due thought to the game and you know Eddie has allowed a mistake. He's allowed goodness me. He's allowed two, three, four, five, six of mistakes on the back of this. But that was a that was a misstep from the manager, and I think he'll be he'll be regretting that. So so no, a massive opportunity missed, and for me, two below par on the whole, uh, to lose two below par performances. And you know, we'll I don't want to talk for too long from the off, but we'll we'll get into the reasons as to as to why because. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there is a little bit, bit of digging to be done there rather than just casting it aside as they've played two good teams and they've lost two games. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree that the performances weren't quite um, what we've come to expect because we, even in fixtures against the top four last season, I think we gave everyone a really good game. We gave a really good representation of ourselves uh, home and away um, with the exception of maybe Arsenal at home where they, they kind of found us out in, in April. Um, I... I, I I know Alex shares your view uh, about about the uh, the changes about it being it feeling very uh, pre prescribed. Uh, I mm. kind of disagree. Just from where I was in the stadium, I thought Anthony Gordon as excellent as he'd been. He looked spent. He was exhausted. Mm. By the way, everything had gone down our left hand side. If anything, Miggy was fresh as a daisy, which is why some of the later chances came through him. But yeah, I thought Gordon did look exhausted. And and if you can't put Barnes on for twenty minutes at home. Mm. But then why? Why can't you? Um, I would say the same about Tonali. He'd put in a hell of a shift and he'd played very well. Um, but I could understand the change. Longstaff's not really been one to let you down. Again, for 20 minutes of running, he, he, that seems like the right substitute. And you could even say the same for Wilson. You know, Wilson came on and scored the, mm. the winner against Man United last season, scored the second goal, put the game to bed. So that's what Eddie Howe was clearly hoping for. Um, we, moments later, after the changes, had that Miggy chance and then we had that chance where Barnes was put through and he just had to square the ball three yards to Wilson. Wilson scores that goal. 
it's a different different result. We, we, we put the game to bed and we win. Um, so it's fine margins for me. I think we've been quick to criticise. And on I, I, I did, did this podcast on Sunday and I think I came down a little bit less positive than I am now, but we were so gutted and it was such a smash and grab, it felt, uh, uh, shell-shocking of a, of a loss that I think having had time to reflect and maybe watching match of the day and seeing that how close we were with those Miggy chances, it feels like on another day we, we get away with it. Um, the one mistake I think Eddie Howe made with those substitutions was making them all at once. Yeah. So a triple sub does disrupt the flow of the game. It doesn't matter if you trust those players mm. and if those players are good enough, because I think they are. And I don't think any of them were involved in either of the goals we conceded, by the way. But three changes just just it just kind of disrupts the flow of the game. And when when Liverpool had kind of put those threatening lads on in Jota and Nunes, Nunes, by the way, who can't hit a barn door normally, <laughs> puts two perfectly inside of the post finishes like that doesn't normally happen i think the the stars aligned for liverpool is what i'm getting at so that was my view on the game but i agree with your wider point craig that those two performances weren't what we thought we would expect and maybe um i think you've got some thoughts on on what why that might be whether there's transfer business to be done whether we have done enough to to bolster this squad for the season ahead yeah, we'll, I'll revisit the subs because it leads into the point I want to make. And now on the changes, I get where you're coming from, Cy, but I always like to be true to myself as to what I thought at the time. And I'm sat there in the press box and when he makes the change, I'm okay with Wilson for Isaac and I'm okay with, with Tonali for Longstaff. And the reason being, and I know subsequently a lot of people have said that Tonali coming off was one of the key factors in Newcastle losing the game. Tonali for me was tiring. He'd given the ball away not long before, which led to a Liverpool break. And there was a last-ditch challenge, I think, from Sven Botman to deny mm. uh, Liverpool a goal. And I, we've got a great vantage in the press box. I looked down, Eddie spun on his heels, and he said to Jason Tindall, Sandro. And at that point, I said, Tonali's going to come off here. He got a little bit sloppy. Now, had he played well? Yeah, he'd done, he'd done well. He, he'd had a good game. But Longstaff's legs and freshness coming on for Tonali at that point, I wasn't particularly bothered about. I thought, yeah. you know... I'm always true to myself in that regard. I don't like to have the time. But I did say I wouldn't have taken Anthony Gordon off. I just thought that uh, he was a player who was on fire. He had Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, booked and spooked. He was going at him. He was still playing well. Uh, I would, Especially on, what was it, 71 minutes, 72 minutes? There's still 25, half an hour of the game left to play with current stoppages. I would have given him a, a little bit longer. And I just thought, as you quite rightly said, Si, three changes at once. As it played out, Newcastle lost all shape. They were a mess after that, an absolute mess. And all of a sudden, from it looking like 11 v 10, it looked like 10 v 11. It looked like Newcastle had the man less. And when I put that Eddie Howe in the press conference afterwards, he, he agreed with me. So, so there, which brings me on to the point which you alluded to there. Now, where have Newcastle's goals conceded come from this season and the chances, the key chances? For me, it's all the same domain. It's that number 10, second striker area. Go back to the first day of the season. Moussa Diaby, Aston Villa in the first half, called Newcastle all manner of problems. Fabian Shaw, Bruno Gamaris, Tonali were talking to each other. Who's picking them up? Whose job is it? Diaby was buzzing around, had a couple of good chances, eventually scores a goal. Okay, Newcastle, brilliant second half. The game goes away. Down at Man City, Phil Foden, man of the match, operating in the, the domain of the 10 area. Julian Alvarez scores the goal. He scores it from the number 10 position. Watch the goal back. Sandro Tonali just doesn't go with him. It's in Sandro Tonali's domain. He looks at him, doesn't go with him, doesn't go with him again. All of a sudden, Alvarez is free in the box and, and puts it in for 1-0. For That's enough to win the game. You go back to Sunday, 
where did the two passes for the goals come from? They've come in the number six position where Newcastle, for me, going into the summer, were crying out for a, a, a big, athletic, ball playing. You know, obviously Declan Rice would have been the absolute number one and Newcastle did talk to him. Uh that would have been the ultimate. But that that ilk of player to protect the back four, to free Bruno to go and play further up the field. Now, Sandro Tonali is a very good signing. He's made a good start, but he isn't that player, you know? So it comes back to the question, which I'll pose to myself, have Newcastle United signed what they really needed? For me, on the evidence of the first three games and against the top teams, they'll get away with it against Aston Villa, even though Aston Villa are very good, but against the very top teams to take your, to, to be able to compete with them. And so far, Results-wise, this version of Newcastle United haven't done that well against the very top teams. Five defeats in a row now to Liverpool under Eddie Howe. I think you've got to improve your starting eleven, not improve your squad. In the six is the position. Bruno Gomorrah was left in there when Tonali went off. He gives the ball away for the for the winning goal. He doesn't, you know, he he, he hasn't got the legs to, to get around and, and close people down in that position. And it comes back to yeah, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this side. Have Newcastle United signed this summer what they what they needed? For me, going into the, the, the window, I was convinced it would be a six. When they bought Tenali, I thought he was a six. I didn't necessarily know, but you subsequently watch him play. You read more about him. He's not. He's not. He's an eight. He's another Bruno, basically. He's a Bruno. He might even be a better version of Bruno, the way Bruno's form is sort of plateaued a little bit at the moment. But yeah, interested to get your thoughts on what I've just said. <laughs> Um, I think it's an interesting point and probably a fair um, analysis of what's happened so far this season. What I would say is that surely, surely either Bruno or or Tonali have it in their locker to be kind of developed into, into being able to cover that position. Now, they, they those two, certainly against Aston Villa, seem to complement each other very well. You could see what that midfield is meant to be. And then Joe Linton's your enforcer who goes on kicking the shit out of the opposition. So... If as long as they can come to an agreement about whose whose job it is, because I think you're right, there's, there does seem to be a bit of a conflict of who's doing what here. Um, surely there's quality there that they can solve that problem without necessarily us being missing the the, the component that needs to be there. Um, we've got midfield options. We've got Sean Longstaff. We've got Joe Willock to come back. There'll be different different combinations of this midfield to to see what the solution is. But I I, I totally understand your your concern there. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I was really happy with the transfer business. My main concern uh, is the is the lack of centre half options, uh, mm. which we might come on to because Botman limped off. Albeit we know that he, it's not as bad as we first thought. But no, I I, I would love to get you know a, a classic Claude Makélélé is what I would describe them as, <laughs> showing my age here. But that kind of player to uh, check Tioni was was that for a while. Someone who really is that kind of defensive cover, which allows your other two midfielders to maraud a bit more. And um, we don't have that. Um, Longstaff probably was the answer last season because he had the legs to get forward when he was always back covering and, and helping out in that exact position. Um, but he's missed a lot of preseason and we don't know how involved he's going to be because he's kind of lost his place at the moment. Hmm. Um, it's a tough one. I, I totally get it, Craig, but I don't know. I, I, I think we should still have the quality in this squad to compete in every game. And like I say, we had that game won and, and we, we were our, the manufacturers of our own demise, but on another day, bit of luck, one of Miggy's shots goes in and we're not yeah. having this conversation. So it is it's fine margins, but there's definitely a there's definitely some questions to be answered, but whether yeah. it's by the current squad or whether the transfer business was correct, probably yeah. too soon to say. Hmm. 
Yeah, and, and the idea was it was so the worst when Tonali came in that you know Eddie wanted a fluid midfield. He wanted his midfield to be less rigid. He wanted them to be clever enough uh, to, to to manage it in game, as you alluded to their side. But so far for me, especially in the big two games, Liverpool and Man City, and that's when Newcastle have to be. That is the, the ultimately the level we've got to to judge them against in terms of this journey they're on. Uh, they they come up short for me. They they really have, and I want to go back to a, to a mentality thing as well. And this was something I wrote in the Daily Mail earlier in the week. Now, Newcastle under Eddie Howe for so long have thrived off being the underdog, the underdog mentality, inheriting the team in nineteenth, and everything they've achieved and getting to the Champions League has been against the odds, and they've been brilliant. And we've said all that on this show. Now, and this comes back to another article I wrote earlier in the week about expectation. How right. how does Eddie Howe give? Convince these guys they're top dogs. They're no longer underdogs. So when they go one nil up at home to Liverpool against ten men with an hour to play in front of your own fans, how do you put your foot on their throat as a really, really top team would would do and be ultimately ruthless to win that game? Because Newcastle weren't. I know you say there's fine margins there, Si. Yes, but you shouldn't. When you're in that position, it shouldn't actually come back to fine margins. You know, you should have enough to 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 to, to make it percentage wise that you're going to go and win the game, and they didn't, and they left themselves exposed. And we're sat there in the press box, and even ten minutes before Nunes equalises, we're sat there. I'm sat with Mark Douglas, and my colleague Lewis Steele, and we're seeing a Liverpool goal is coming here, and you could you could sense it, you could feel it. Newcastle had lost control. So, in terms of yeah, I use that word mentality. They've got to realise now that the you know. They are top dogs. They are a Champions League team. And maybe that will take a year being exposed to that level of football. I don't know. But you look at their record against those very best teams uh, and it's it, it's got to improve because so far they are they are coming up short. Yeah, um, I think yeah, your article is very interesting about, about how the expectation around the club generally has has changed. And I think that's an absolute fair comment. It, it's, it does sometimes get blurred, especially in the social media world with... Mm-hmm. Are you uh, insinuating that fans' expectations have suddenly oh, shot through the roof? And sorry, the article was totally misconstrued. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, I was just going to say uh, you, you're, you're you're hanging yourself out there when Newcastle have lost some football matches. People <laughs> are looking for blood. <laughs> someone someone to jump the throat down the throat of. So uh, timing is everything, maybe. But yeah, I think the, uh, the the argument I've made, and there was that there was that um, tweet the Chronicle made, which I'll not dwell on. But you know, there's, there's mm. been a lot of kind of like we just want a club that tries, and it's like yes, that was very true, especially under Mike Ashley. All we wanted was a club that was actually trying to do something. We've got that now, but you can't just live on that forever. And you can't every time we lose a football match just go, oh, well, you know, think about where we were two years ago. Which it, it's a, it's a valid point to an extent, but of course the expectations grown. We're owned by the richest people in the world. We've bought yeah. a squad that puts us now in, I think, the top five on spend. So we should be competing with the top five of the Premier League. And when we lose games, questions can be asked. We don't have to go, you know, lose our heads. I, I've said that on Sunday after the match on this podcast, and I'm saying it again now, I thought we were a bit unlucky. And I think we probably don't need to get too carried away with why we've lost two games against two very good teams. Yeah, uh, Time will tell, and we've got some, some, some difficult fixtures to come yet. And then we might, you know, by the end of, or the mid-September, um, knowing what fixtures we've got in the draw tomorrow as well, you'll be able to assess the they kind of season a bit better at that point but yeah I, I just it's too early I, I think we've had two defeats and one victory uh, at a time when we've got so used to being good yeah, people yeah. don't I, I, don't, I haven't known how to deal with it I couldn't process Sunday it's taken me a while to get over it I haven't smiled for like three days it's well, been you, really tough you, you, you are right Sino it's it's this lot have got so much goodwill in the bank and to that extent mm. Bruno Kamara's tweet of seven days previous was exactly 
was exactly right. But let's not deny our self-analysis. There's still 90 minutes there. You know, shows like this wouldn't exist and we wouldn't, you know, no one would read what we write in the newspapers if we if we if we, we abandoned all form of scrutiny and analysis until what December. So, you know, let's not uh, let's not just write it off. We can still sort of look at it and give our give our opinion with the caveat that Newcastle are still very good, an excellent squad, brilliant manager, and they will recover, absolutely. But to go back to the article I wrote, now, you mentioned there the Chronicle tweet, so you had the two extremes, didn't you? You had the Chronicle tweet, which basically said, you know, uh, Newcastle just want a team that tries, that doesn't have to win, just try. My article about expectation uh, said, you know, the time has come now that there was a level of expectancy, and this wasn't, it was misconstrued, it wasn't about that dirty word expectation with regard to support as an historical mm. negative connotation, which I have argued years against. It wasn't about that. It was about if you've got owners who say they want to be the best in the world, there's now an expectation that you go out and beat Liverpool at home. That yeah. was the point of the article. And those who read it, believe it or not, understood it anyway. Different matter. <laughs> but, so you had me at one extreme with that article and the Chronicle at the other extreme. Both of us got a load of rubbish. So, what? No, which is it, guys? Which, which, which do you want? You know, you're either you're either okay with being the underdog forever and just having a team that tries, or or you know you, you want a team that, that you, you demand wins. So, anyway, anyway. But uh, yeah, the, the point about expectation is that, that yeah, you know, if, yeah, and, and it's a good thing. Newcastle are good. The reason I wrote that article was two years ago, going into a Liverpool home match, you would have gone around the pub before the game or whatever. Uh, and it would have been, no, uh, they'll get beat today. They'll get beat today. I was at Heaton Stan on Saturday. I went with my young boy and some friends. And, you know, people come up to you and you, you know, what do you think tomorrow? I said, oh, I think they'll win. I bumped into a former Newcastle player on Gosworth High Street that night. We had a chat. Uh, what do you think will happen tomorrow? Oh, I think they'll win. They'll beat Liverpool. They're good enough to beat Liverpool. So, you know, there was that level of confidence. And I understand maybe the word expectation has got that, that dirty connotation. If I'd replaced that in the article with confidence, belief or expectancy, mm. I might have got less of a kick in. But uh, <laughs> you, you, you see the point I'm trying to make now that because Newcastle are very good, because they've got a lot of things in place, they should be beating Liverpool. And if they want to be the best, they've got to beat the best. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that assessment. I think... Um... In in terms of analysing the two games we've just had, um, it's easy to think, well, we didn't we didn't play our best, but I think we did enough against Liverpool to let me think that you know what we, we we're trying to win these games, and even at Man City, we weren't just you know hanging on for dear life. It wasn't a, and I'll mention his name. It wasn't a Steve Bruce lose two 0 give yourself a pat on the back because it wasn't five. It was a yeah, yeah. We, we we gave it a go, and we're very disappointed that we've taken nothing from these two games. I think that's still progress. Yeah, that's yeah. still signifies that, that, that there's an understanding of an expectation that exists because there is an expectation in the that that expectation the word itself is aside is there and it's there for a reason and it's not a bad thing the the analogy you just gave of being in the pub where there was zero expectation is exactly why expectation now isn't necessarily a bad thing it just means that mm. people actually believe that the club can and should be doing something again whereas yeah, before yeah. we just didn't believe it anyway yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Moving on slightly, because uh, you mentioned uh, your um, deadline day show you're doing uh, tomorrow, yeah. and you've already alluded to the idea that perhaps there's not much left to be done for Newcastle. Um, mm. We had a bit of an injury scare over the weekend with Botman. Um, as I said before, it feels like it might not be as bad. We don't know yet if he'll be fit to play this weekend. But even before he limped off on Sunday, that's a position that most Newcastle mm. supporters would probably have said, we still feel light. We still feel that if he did get an injury that was going to keep him out for three, four weeks longer... What what's the plan there? Is there still a desire to get one more deal done for that position, or what what else might the club be looking at here? Well, I, I can only go on what I'm being told, Sai. And the word is, there's no money to spend. There won't be a cash signing. Uh, yeah, roll on 48 hours, and Newcastle spend 30 million pound on silver <laughs> or Tadebo or something. <laughs> and yeah, everyone can clip this up. But uh, yeah, uh, they may explore a loan. I think Eddie's press conference tomorrow will be informative with regards to Sven Botman. Now, the word back to me in that. I reported this earlier in the week on Monday. I think it was that uh, the early indications are that Sven Botman's injury isn't a bad one. Uh, now, I think there's still a, a good chance it could keep him out with this weekend. Uh, but yeah, Eddie's press conference tomorrow will be informative in that regard. Are they still looking? Well, they're always looking. You know, if, if, if a loan deal presents itself for a, for a centre-half, then then maybe they will, they will explore that. Uh, but as well, this goes back, sign. I want to put this back on you to a degree. Uh, you know, Going into the summer, if you were saying Newcastle were going to improve the start in 11, I would have said a right-sided centre-half, a right-winger, a number six, as I've spoken about, and a left-back. Now, they've only signed a player in one of those four positions, and that's an 18-year-old who's going to need time to, to, to develop. What do, you, what do you think, as a supporter, what do you think about what I've just put to you there? I think it's a fair point. I think it's a fair point. I think back to the years when we just seemed to buy a number 10 every season when we were crying out for defenders and fullbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Tovan, Cabela, those were those are some really strange transfer windows and uh CM De Jong. Um so I, I kind of get I kind of get what you're getting at. You're right. I, I I've said since the start of the summer, right side of centre half. What if Shea gets injured? What if Botman gets injured? Yes, you can move Dan Byrne in, but we I mean we saw what happened in the last in the last minutes of the of the Liverpool game with Dan Byrne at centre half. It doesn't fill you with confidence that that's at the same level we want to be at. I also know yeah. that really good centre halves are not easy to get a hold of and very expensive. Um, so I, I, perhaps it's not through lack of trying. Um, mm. But yeah, I hundred percent agree that we've been left light in those positions. Um, Lewis Hall is another one where yeah, all right, it's a he's a young lad, but we've got um, dog going mental. Sorry, we've got a. Uh, 
I, 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 I want to believe that the club have tried everything and that the, the business... Yeah, yeah. They've, got... they've signed good players. You know, you, you can't, they've signed good players. I think the business has been very good. It just poses the question, and this will become apparent over time, one way or the other, uh, have they signed what they, they really needed? Uh, and as ever, budgets were, were limited. There's an opportunity cost. If you spend £38 million on Harvey Barnes, who I think is excellent, it means you can't spend £38 million on the right side of centre-half. Mm. These are the decisions guys, other than us, are paid to make. Uh, we're paid to question them. And that's what we're doing. But I'm not willing to return a verdict just yet. I'm just merely posing that uh, that element of, of doubt or, or inspection, however we want to dress it up. Yeah, I, I would say we ended the summer. I say ended the summer. We're about to end the summer with, with competition in nearly every position. Like mm. you say, that right-sided centre-half. Uh, we've got LaSalle's, who we could touch on briefly here because you've uh, you've done a, quite a bit of writing about him over the last few days, um, inevitably because of what's happened. Um mm. But yeah, Lascelles, who did a couple of decent jobs for us last season in some of those big games that we've talked about, actually, but doesn't really get a lot of playing time. And you don't want to see him get a lot of playing time because as um, as much as he offers something as and his leadership and his, his dressing room demeanour, I don't see it on the pitch. But then Eddie Howe improves players. Maybe mm-hmm. if he was reintroduced, he'd be brilliant. But there's been a bit of news around Lascelles. Um, so we're going to move on to that. But yeah, just to, just to wrap up this, this point, Craig, I, I think... I think there's competition for places. I think we've got quality in nearly every position. I, un, unless we get a really bad s- string of injuries, we should be okay. Albeit the key positions like a Botman, uh, a Bruno or an Isaac, like I said at the start of the season, that will probably have a have a, a bigger role to play in how we finish the season if, if any of those players get serious injuries that keep them out for a while. And I suppose that's what January transfer windows are for. But... I'm pretty confident from what I've seen so far, from what the players have, that we've brought in seem to be offering quite quickly. Uh, you know, they haven't needed time to bet in so far. Um, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. But yes, uh, on the centre-half question, we have a centre-half who's been a bit of bother and you've yeah. been reporting on it the last few days. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you I don't know if you want to justify the article because, again, you've, you've had a lot of people jump, jump. You don't have to justify reporting news. <laughs> you've had Newcastle supporters jumping down your throat some people agree with you it's like well you know footballers go out it's, they're taking that risk but yeah um, it seems like the club are giving Jamal the backing um, yeah. any any more to be said on it? Yeah I mean in terms of writing the story goodness me I'm a journalist I'm not a supporter or a cheerleader uh, if you've got the captain of Newcastle United caught up in a 4am street brawl uh, where someone threatens to shoot him and you've got all the details as a reporter God, I'm going to put that in the newspaper uh, that's just undeniable that's my job mm. uh, and you know I think Newcastle and various people involved totally accepted that as you know I've always said in Newcastle and whenever I've written these fight stories in the past the different things you know if you don't want these stories going in the newspaper, don't let them happen in the first place. And while in this instance, and I've done a lot of digging on this, I'm convinced Jamal Lascelles was, uh, was you know, the, and, and his, his family, his brother and a friend were the victims of an unprovoked attack, and he was acting in self-defence, and, you know, that there's a certain element of, of credit to that. Uh, these situations can be avoided in the first place, and I would expect that probably we'll find out tomorrow. Uh, sorry, on Friday at press conference, that's probably the view Eddie Howe will share as well. We don't know. But, you know, if you're out at 4 a.m. in the morning uh, in Newcastle, which, you know, if you want to go out 7 a.m. till 12, sorry, 7 o'clock till 12 o'clock is very different to being out from 12 till 4. You know, 12 till 4 is when, you know, the alcohol kicks in and the pubs kick out. And it, the mood in town changes, you know, we, we, we know that. You're leaving yourself more exposed. 
to idiots uh, having having a bit of a poppy because you're a famous face. And while there is sympathy for Jamal, it does beg that question to a degree. But at the same time, yes, I, the, the club are sticking by him. I think they've looked at all of the, the evidence available and they accept that you know Jamal was acting in self-defence of, of himself and of his, his younger brother as well. So, so that's fair enough. And I think it'll be one they'll, they'll try to move on from very quickly. But nonetheless, on the back of... The loss at Man City, followed by Bruno's tweet and all the fallout from that. Uh, again, you know, you've got a, people have a uh, pop at you saying, why are you reporting this? It's negative. You know, I didn't tweet it. It was Bruno who went online and called supporters stupid. That, you know, you, you can't ignore that. It's a talking point. It was, and it wasn't my, you know, you go into the press conference on last Friday and it's the first question he's asked by TV, radio reporters. So it is an issue. But then you've got the Liverpool game and you've got the fallout with Jamal Lascelles. So, yeah, welcome to Newcastle United, Eddie. Uh, you've had it plain sailing so far, but this is just a little reminder that this club always has had and you know continues to have just that propensity to put itself on the news pages sometimes for the for the wrong reasons. But we'll try and move on going down to a what is it, a massive game, really. Fab, you're down there at Brighton on Saturday. Bearing in mind you've got two weeks of the international break on the back of this, so another defeat wouldn't wouldn't be good, really, would it? Yeah, that's a great segue because you've just you've just taken my segue. So let's just move straight on to that Brighton game. Yeah, um, it's um, I just want, want your thoughts on on the challenge. Brighton are a good side, albeit um, we've seen that they can be beaten by by a good West Ham side. But yeah. um, we do take. It feels like there's pressure just because of everything that's going on. Because there is a little bit of a, I'm going to call it a very small negative cloud uh, over the club, just off the back of some defeats, off the back of some other stuff in the news injuries and concerns about transfer business and all that stuff we've just talked about um is there some pressure on this one am, am i reading too much into that i don't think there is by the way i think if we lose this game we can still be fine uh, i'm not yeah. saying we will lose this game by the way i don't think the fact that we failed to beat man city or liverpool changes how good a side we can be on our day but what what are your thoughts on 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 where we're at going into this game yeah. it depends how we define pressure uh now, is the pressure in terms of Newcastle need a result to avoid crisis point? Absolutely not. Newcastle mm. can go to Brighton and lose against a good Brighton team and they'll still be perfectly fine. You know, they, 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 they'll come back under Eddie and I think we'd have full faith and, and trust in, in the coaching staff, the manager and the players and the owners to, to do that. No problem at all. So, so far away from any notion of crisis. Like the, Manchester United have got that round the corner, by the way. I don't think they're very good. I think they're absolutely cheating. And they managed to get by and they've taken mm-hmm. seven points from nine somehow. That's a different story. Newcastle are, are okay in that regard. There's a lot of goodwill in the bank and a lot of perspective as to where they've come from. But nonetheless, there'll be pressure in Eddie's mind. He doesn't want to spend two weeks of the international break on the back of three defeats. And we've seen there is increased noise around Newcastle now. And I don't mean with us guys. I mean, you know, beyond beyond Tyneside, there is that increased scrutiny. The 5-1 victory at home to Aston Villa on the first day of the season that put them top and all of the love that, that come on the back of that from, you know, from Newcastle, you know, say beyond the, the wider uh, the wider media, uh, you know, that does set you up for a fall and Newcastle have, have felt that and experienced that in the last couple. So, of course, there's pressure. There's, there's pressure every week and they'll feel that. But is there pressure to the point of, serious questions being asked no no chance i agree i agree entirely um and it's it's yeah it's um probably just a, a kind of reality check um is that even if we lose this game it's not it's not all bad uh you know we we had uh what we drew six of the first seven games last season so we, yeah. we got to to mid-september with 
something like six, seven points. It's not that wasn't great at the time either, considering where we ended up. But we had a lot of catching up to do. But so anything is possible with this team, and I, I've uh, said it so many times on this podcast, and I'll say it again: Eddie Howe's teams do take a bit of time um, to get the momentum going. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's a high intensity style of football. There's nothing compares to uh, you know competitive football in terms of match fitness. You can prepare as much as possible with preseason friendlies, and but you won't get that kind of the level of fitness required to play Eddie Howe ball until mm. you've played a handful of games and really yeah, got, yeah. got going. So that'll come. I'm, I'm confident that'll come. And, and yeah, maybe we'll see it this weekend. Maybe we'll see it the week after uh, in nationals. But yeah, I, I, I'm pretty confident uh, in this game. I think it's a tough one. I would probably take a draw because I know Brighton are a good side. And yeah, you could argue that four points from the first four is maybe mm. the absolute bare minimum you would have taken uh, before mm. it, but you wouldn't have you wouldn't have said it was a really bad return for the fixtures we've had. Um, Aston Villa were meant to be good as well, by the way, uh, and we're blue yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I think uh, it'll it'll raise questions, but questions that can easily be answered. So yeah. uh, I, I'm inclined to agree. But your thoughts on the the opening four games? What did you think um, going into them would be kind of a mm-hmm. minimum expectation? Yeah, expectation. There's that word again. <laughs> but by the way, on Brighton, Brighton can be beaten. Newcastle showed that at home last season when Brighton. Played oh, yeah. Camp yeah. suicide football, and they'll stick to that. West Ham showed last week a template to beat them. Even Everton, I think the back end of last season absolutely smashed them. So it's it. This is one for this is one where Eddie earns his earns his due here because I think there is a game plan to be to be deployed to go and beat Brighton, and we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how how that plays out because the will uh, the will give you chances if you, if you press them at the right time in the right areas, and Newcastle have got the four players to do that. So. Uh, from a Newcastle perspective, I'd be going there relatively confident. How do I assess the the four games overall in terms of yeah expectation? Uh, if they come out with six, I think six is six is brilliant. If they come out with four, you'd say okay, bare minimum borderline. Uh, another defeat, and I think you're probably saying it's been a it's been a bad would you say bad start below par start. Uh, definitely, even though there is the mitigation of them being four uh, very hard fixtures, but it comes back to the point there, sign. I think you touched on it five or ten minutes ago. You know, the summer business. You think they've improved their depth? Well, I think by improving your depth, it helps you beat the rest. But you've got to improve your starting eleven to beat the best, if you know what I mean. So Newcastle having better options at left wing to fabulous left wingers, Gordon and uh, Barnes. I I feel they'll be by having better options in midfield, uh, by having stronger, better options at fullback for the fullback. Acquisitions are really clever because they've prevented the problem before it came a problem. They've put mm, the succession yeah. plan in place before Trippier and Byrne uh, went the other side of the hill, so to speak. So good business in that regard. But yeah, I think this is almost the theme of the, the this pod. You know, have they really improved the start in the eleven? Only Sandro Tonali of the four signings has started games, which is uh, which shouldn't be shouldn't be forgotten. But uh, yeah, I forgot where we're going now. Something to do with Brighton. <laughs> uh, I'll be down at Brighton anyway. Uh, yeah. And as I said, I think I think they, they can be beaten uh, and I would expect Eddie to come up with a plan to beat them. Yeah, and, and whenever we've had a, a bad or a bumpy week uh, or a week or two, uh, we've always found an answer. Sometimes quickly, sometimes uh, it's taking yeah. a little bit more time. Always done that, by the way, you're right, side. Whenever yeah. they've hit the buffers like they have done just a little bit at the moment, they've always found a response. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm 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 confident it'll happen again. Um, it'll be a tough game. Brighton are good, and again, we could play really well and still come away without three points. But, and I'm, I I kind of agree with you. If if um the, the squad should be better placed to beat the rest, and if we beat the rest, 
you're in with a shout. You know, you don't have to necessarily win those top four games. If you keep beating the other teams, that's 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 puts you on course for a good season. As Newcastle showed last season, of course. Yeah, exactly. You know, after the, the first flurry of draws, we really hit just we're blowing the rest of them out of the water and that's that's all we need to do again, and I think we will. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The last thing I want to talk to you about, Craig, uh, is is the Amazon documentary. And I'm not doing this just because, as some eagle-eyed listeners will have mentioned, there's, a, there's, there's quite a few uh, snippets of this podcast used, including my voice. I was very honoured. Uh, but uh, episode three dropped uh, the other day after the accidental dropping of, of, of the whole thing where um, the Adidas deal and all that fallout. Uh, I'm sure someone in Amazon got in a bit of bother. But uh, just your thoughts so far. I think the last time we spoke... We spoke about it being kind of a nice spectacle as a Newcastle supporter. And I, I find it interesting only because I'm a Newcastle supporter. My honest opinion is I don't know what this is what this is offering a non-Newcastle supporter, but I don't want I wondered your thoughts on, on the documentary so far and, and how much did you enjoy hearing our voices from this podcast uh, over the over the images of, of St. James's Park crowds. Yeah, I need to go back and finish episode three. That was the point at which I switched off. <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, I went to the, the premiere in town at the Tyneside Cinema, watched the first two episodes, Eddie, the owners were all there. And I wrote a review on the back of that. And alone, I'll tell you a story. I said, I put the review on Twitter and uh, with comments. Within about two minutes, bear in mind this review would have taken five or ten minutes to read, I disabled comments straight away. <laughs> because it was just negative, negative. Now everyone's gone away and watched the documentary and everyone shares the opinion, which I wrote about, having seen the first two episodes, that it is a little bit PR-y, a little bit fluffy, not massively interesting in parts. There could be there's some great parts, there's some great, you know, Sean Longstaff, Dan Byrne, the, the Callum Wilson stuff, the dressing room uh, bits, all the rest of it, the football story's great. But in terms of beyond that, I thought it was a, a little bit soft, a little bit PR-y, but it'll probably achieve what Newcastle wanted to achieve in terms of, uh, selling the club to support us beyond these shows. I, I don't think it's a massive feat, an achievement of documentary making. I think there's far better out there. It is what it is. It's good. It's watchable. I enjoyed bits of it, but on the whole, probably a tad disappointed, I must admit. Yeah, disappointing. That's probably a strong word, I would say. Um, I, I'm enjoying it as a, as a Newcastle supporter, obviously, um, albeit the, the, the corporate side of it, it. It's never been an interest before, but I would say that it's kind of nice to see that the club has got some pretty level-headed, uh, switched-on people doing what they need to do behind the scenes. Um, it, might, it might even have been interesting to see what it was like compared to, you know, these documentaries are, are more interesting when a club's in absolute turmoil, like the Sunderland yeah, one, yeah. seeing that nonsense that was going on and seeing what it was like when Mike Ashley was in charge might have been a bit more of an yeah. interesting documentary if that's what you want to show, kind of the, the inner workings. Yeah. But but I agree, the uh, a little bit more of the football side without wanting to give away Eddie Howe's secrets, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, would, have, would have been nice. But, you know, um, they, they, they came in and did like a four-month stint of a season. There's been some good results. There's been some good uh, good bits of, uh, of footage and things. And it's, it's yeah. been, as a whole, enjoyable, albeit um, we'll see what, what comes next because what you want is to cover a club that, get somewhere and at the minute they haven't got anywhere so they're working with what they've got i suppose 
Yeah, when I say disappointing, I mean that from a, almost like a critical eye, someone who was in the cinema that night to to review a, a, a documentary. Uh, and you want to go there, and as you quite rightly touched on their side, you want to see warts and all. You want to see humour, uh, you know, comedy. Probably given Newcastle's success during that season, whenever we're going to get the, the tragic comedy of Sun Until I Die. But nonetheless, I thought... The characters involved, you know, Murdoch, see Amanda Stavely, uh, Eddie, some of the players. I thought they all come across really well in that regard. Yeah, so if yeah. you're a supporter watching it, I think it's probably a, a reassuring experience knowing you've got decent people in there. Uh, but in terms of a show, yeah, it's, it's good. It, it does what they wanted to do. Uh, and it, it probably is what ultimately what I expected. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, very quickly then, Craig, just, just ahead of the weekend, um, Predictions. I just want to say, what, what, where's your heart um, or your or your head at in terms of can Newcastle beat Brighton? Will Newcastle beat Brighton this weekend? One-one uh, draw. I think they can beat them. Uh, and I, I would like to see them come out and just just play better than they did in the second half against Liverpool. Play better than they did on the whole against Manchester City. Uh, you know they've got a little bit to answer. I want to see that response to them, as we alluded to. You know, they've always found that response. It's time to show that on Saturday. But ultimately, I think Brighton's a decent team. Uh, and if I was going to make a prediction, I'd go 1-1. Yeah. Would I be disappointed with that? Maybe, maybe. But yeah, I, I would probably also take it because uh, I don't want the the alternative, which is uh, Newcastle lose the game and then we spend two weeks dwelling on it. You know, you want to get a, a result back on on the cards and, and, uh, and we go from there. But yeah. It's going to be an interesting weekend, regardless. I think every every fixture has been fascinating so far, and it's just it's nice that every every game matters. It nice it's nice that you lose one game, and it feels like the whole world's crumbling. You know, mm-hmm. De- defeats two years ago, it's just like yeah, we've lost again. Never mind. Yeah. We, we might do better next week. Whereas defeats this time, it's like oh god, I really hope this doesn't happen again. You don't want that feeling mm-hmm. to come back. So um, yeah, I, I can't I can't say any more words. I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for football. I'm excited for football, and it's, it's just. Uh, it's such a change. It's such a change after after the misery we had. Um, yeah. But yes, Craig, thank you so much for, for joining us again. Um, thank you very much for listening. This has been the True Faith Podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.